welcome to episode one of Forever White Belt. I am Adolfo Ferranda. In this episode, I am so very fortunate to have the honor of having a conversation with one of my Brazilian jiu-jitsu heroes, digital mentors, and digital teachers, if you will, the legendary Carl Silverfox Prevec. I discovered the Silverfox in 2017 when he first released video material with TriStar Gym's Faraz Sahabi, and I was immediately blown away with the depth of his knowledge. His technical execution is second to none, and I immediately clicked with his way of teaching the art. After viewing all of the Fox TriStar Gym content, I sought out and consumed the remainder of his available content, and I became a dedicated viewer of his once-a-month Roll with the Fox YouTube show. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit and everything shut down, Fox, with two of his students, Enrique and Mike, committed to a seven-day-a-week series called The Antivirus Edition, in which they filmed live for 99 days straight, with no days off. Some of us digital students had the honor to be in that live 99 viewer club. The antivirus live show became a high priority for me each morning, providing me with some semblance of stability in my day, while sharpening my mind and delivering an overwhelming amount of value for free. It meant a great deal to me, and for that, I can't thank them enough. Okay, a couple housekeeping points. I inadvertently refer to his academy as a gym several times in the episodes, and I'm slow to correct myself, and for that, I apologize to the Silver Fox. As part of my giving back what little I can as of this recording to Fox, the Antivirus Tribe, and now each of you, I created a free online Silver Fox technique guide. I will post the link in the show notes for each of you. All that being said, you will always learn something from an individual with this vast amount of invaluable knowledge of the art and these two episodes, part one and a subsequent part two, with the Silver Fox will be no exception. So as Fox says, use your brain and be kind to others. And with that, let's begin the show. On the show, I have such a special guest here. It is Karl Pravec. He was born in 1963. He is of Czechoslovakian descent, arriving to the USA at the ripe age of 17. Later, he earned his MBA from Columbia University, worked in finance. He's also well-versed in Taekwondo. And in 91, Carl had his first live introduction to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in a hotel conference room with no mats but carpet. The seminar was held by Helio, Horion, Hickson, Hoyler, Hoyce, and other Gracie family members, which is just mind-blowing. Carl is commonly referred to as the Silver Fox. He is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt who earned his rank through Henzo Gracie, being one of the Gracie's very first students in the United States. Carl is also recognized as one of the top instructors in the New Jersey area, and now I would argue the world via the internet. So he's basically royalty. We need to get him a crown and a scepter. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thanks for being here, Fox. It's my pleasure. I always love talking about jiu-jitsu. I'd like to think of myself as being born in maybe 1983, but it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to slip that in there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So one of the things I want to get into it immediately because it was one of the most recent experiences I had in terms of jiu-jitsu during this crazy time of this pandemic currently as of this recording and shelter in place. You started something along with a couple of your students, Enrique and Mike. You can say their last name. Galarza and uh, Gonzalez. And Gonzalez. Enrique, uh, Galarza, Enrique Galarza. Watch for him on the uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu circuit. And Mike Gonzalez, watch for him on the MMA circuit. So you guys started something called the Antivirus Edition. Now, previous to that, you were doing something monthly called Roll with the Fox, yep. where it was the first Friday of every month, and anyone could just log into 
whatever. It was, I think it was Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And then this this whole shelter in place thing came down. So can you can you tell me how this uh, antivirus edition kind of even became an idea, or you guys agreed upon it and everything? Yeah, what what happened actually? It's it's kind of funny. And I started doing Roll with the Fox. It's basically a monthly troubleshooting series where it's interactive, where I'm live and I'm answering all different sorts of problems, not just verbally, but actually on the mat so people can see how do we resolve that particular problem in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu grappling way. And the reason I started that is, you know, I've, I've been doing a seminars a lot in Europe and North America and in, in Latin America as well. And there's a lot of people that have been that calling me or asking me questions or sending me private messages and I just couldn't keep up with it. And one time I'm, I'm driving, I'm doing seminars in Holland and Germany, and we're driving down on the highway and, you know, at a pretty rapid cliff, you know, there's no, no speed limit on the Audubon, but a friend of mine, a good black belt, has got a school in the, in the Holland, Kemmel, and I'm t- trying to provide some answers to some guys in India. We, and the connection kept getting broken because every once in a while, we, either we were moving too fast or I don't know. And I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. So one of my guys thought about doing a monthly series and we decided first Friday of every month, 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. And the reason for 10.30 a.m. Eastern time is it seems to work pretty much literally globally. As you know, you yeah. were on all those on all, all those episodes. And, you know, we had guys from Malaysia, from Japan, from India, from Israel, from yeah. South Africa, from Algeria, from Morocco, from Sweden, Italy, Germany, Czech. It was mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. Brazil, Venezuela, like literally all over the world. The only thing yeah. we didn't cover, I think, is, is, is uh, Antarctica. So when, <laughs> so we, we, we did nine monthly episodes. And when this thing hit, I was like, you know, I wanted to do something. For, I, I wanted to, because I believe in visual learning. And I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback since then that people, People that only watch these episodes actually their game is better uh, you know you saw like at the, one of the last episodes Kanaki Yoshi from Japan he actually said hey listen the guys actually thought that I was secretly training yeah. that's how, yeah. how much better his game got and I yeah. told everybody your wind is gonna be off your time mm-hmm. is gonna be off but your game right. is gonna be better right. there is such a thing as visual learning and I said I want to do something for my students and for the global community and I said I'm gonna do a daily daily version until this thing starts to calm down or I break Unfortunately, I did break it was two, two days after the 99th episode. Monday after, I, I couldn't get up for about half an hour, but I, I managed to get it all in, under control in, oh in a couple goodness. of days. <laughs> it was our own fault because after the episode, me and Enrique or me and Mike would train, you know, sometimes fairly intently. So, uh, you know, basically I took two of my students who I knew had a very small circle of contact, good black belts, both of them, and they wanted to do it. And I knew that, I, I told them from the very beginning, guys, we're going to do this if it's 30 days, if it's 60 days, uh, I didn't think it was going to be 99 days. But I said, uh, you know, whatever it takes, we're going to be doing it. I knew these guys would stay there with me. So that's the two guys I chose. And like I said, we did 99 episodes. And we tried to bring a little bit of fun, a little bit of joy, and a little bit of jujitsu to people's lives across the globe. Yeah, it was was a big deal for me. It really uh, kept me sort of... It was one of the things that kept me sane. You know, I would wake up early. I had something to look forward to. I make my coffee. I'm sitting there and I'm immediately on and learning. I was one of the doubters. I didn't think you were going to go solid the whole 99 (laughs) days. I told you guys. So that was shocking, especially it was all three of you consistently. Was it all three of you from the very beginning? Was that Mike initially? All of those? Okay. So the progression of the whole thing, too, in terms of... uh, (laughs) Let's say uh, your your technological background. So um... it's, it's, it's very bad. <laughs> so so basically, we initially started, and I, and I told those guys, I said, guys, we're going to do this every single day. And people were like, 
there's Saturday and Sunday. Yes, those are days every yeah, single day. That was shocking. I couldn't believe and it. And people, people didn't believe it. And, and, and the, you know, we didn't just do this. We actually trained before, before after. But we had to kind of start to manage the training of after about 15, 20 days because we start to break. But I have mm. zero technological um, sort of capacity. So uh, I relied on Mike a lot. We initially started live on Facebook. And I like I was going to ask you. So Mike is the techie then behind. He's the, yeah. the tech brains behind this operation then, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we initially started on Facebook Live because I, I, I saw the people's faces because on YouTube and Instagram, everybody had screen names. Right, so I could always right. I could always know if somebody asked something stupid or something. I could always, yeah, yeah. all right, I know who that guy is. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Mike kept pushing for uh, going also YouTube and Instagram. So we I think we did the first two on Facebook and then we went all three. We went Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. Right. All live. So we had three of devices with three different de devices on them. And Mike right. kept pushing for YouTube only because the quality was better. It took me, took me literally at about two weeks to, to be convinced to do that. And I got to be honest yeah. with you, the first three or four days when we went from three devices to one on YouTube and, and the picture quality, the sound quality was better. It was funking me up. Literally, it was, you know, I was, I was like sort of out of sorts because I was used to seeing three devices for whatever days we did it. I don't know, 50 days. And now we yeah. went to YouTube only went yeah. from three to one, but we managed to make the transition. So I'm a creature so, of habit. What are the little things that you learned in terms of the process from beginning to end? It seems like at, originally you guys, you had a marker. Sometimes you, you forgot about this marker thing. And sometimes the tree of devices was moving this way and that way. If you guys, what, what kind of things did you learn, you know, from the beginning of this process to the end in terms of that type of medium? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, I think at the end of the day, we wanted to put out a quality product. I think episode one and two, we could not initially upload to YouTube. Until, we actually uploaded them after the last episode. Mike went back and yeah, took it off. I said, yeah. And, and I, you know, like I'm not technically talented whatsoever, but the first day I told Mike, just don't follow us because, and, and you could see like the we initially started like sideways and it kind of drove me nuts. That's right. But, you know, I think Mike became really good at, at sort of reading the questions, knowing when to speak, because, you know, sometimes mm. if I'm ever have a th thought in my head and if I don't get it out and somebody says something, it's, it's long <laughs> gone. Uh, there was an episode where we have a marker on the floor and I kept, you know, Enrique kept trying to bring me back in the middle. And for 20 minutes, I was just kind of like telling him, where are you going? Why are you so scared? Just come, you know, I got I to gotta do this thing. And I thought I was doing so great until about 20 minutes later, I realized that he was, the whole time he was trying to bring me back in the middle. And I, until then, I, I thought I was doing so well as far as like the space management. From day one, we always had fun with this. We, you know, I, I think you could see the evolution. We always had, not always, but almost every episode, we had like a little bit of skit. Sometimes unexpected things happen. We had like one time, I think an ant crawled or a spider crawled on the map. <laughs> and Mike and Enrique were ready to run for the hills. Uh, one time I accidentally put, put Enrique out unconscious. Uh, yeah. You know, again, I was, was going through my head is thinking about like, oh man, you know, he's giving me really good resistance. Okay, he wants to make it real. Let's, let's go real. And then I see, you know, like, okay, he's really holding out. He wants to make it real. I'm like, man, I said, you know what? Uh, you got to get the tab no matter what. And now I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> he's out. Is, it, is that how it typically works at your school or like when you're you're teaching with your uke? I've noticed that you really put it all into it. You know what I mean? It's not like you're sugarcoating it at all or, or you're not, not to say that you go super hard, but man, you really, everything's sort of there. Is that sort of, is that a Henzo thing? 
I'm yes, I, I believe I believe that's uh, you know that's been passed on to me you know for, from Hanzo and, and John Danaher. Like you aim for precision, and I, I'll make it as hard as as the UK makes me make it. I, at the end of the day, I will get it. I will get that move no matter what. It may not be that specific move, but I'm I'm gonna get you no matter what. And you know uh, that's exactly how I teach in my school. I, I think a lot of people felt like they were actually in my class, which was probably the single best best compliment I could have gotten. And no matter what the circumstance, I've had guys where they resist you, whether they they might be relatively new to this or they think that they are like one of the things when I teach a seminar class is always well, I was always taught to do it this way. So I say, okay, I'm show me. And I'm going to do it my way, and then you're going to do it your way. And no matter what happens, I will get my – like, because so I have, you know, supreme confidence in that technique, that it will happen no matter how hard the guy owes. And I always match up the intensity and the power of the uke. Mm. So no matter okay. what, it doesn't matter. I will get, I will get the submission. And, right. you know, sometimes Enrique would, you know, he'd be all gung-ho. And, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you saw, like, sometimes he would try to get the body lock and try to squeeze <laughs> yeah. me out. I'm try, trying to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. It seems you, like you, you pick we, up on that immediately and then you're, you, you go, yeah, like, one you, degree you go, further. Yeah, you have to. That's the only way. But, yeah, I've learned that early on. Like, uh, you learn that about when you hit purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. when you spar. Mm -hmm. If you don't match the intensity of your opponent, you can get hurt. And a lot, a lot of times, sometimes if you try kind of like just doing, you know, wishy-washy and, and, and the other yeah. guy goes hard, you know, he's going to beat you even though he, he may not be as good as you are. So you need right. to learn, especially if, and, and this, this happens as, as you get go through the ranks and you may become sort of the enforcer in the academy where somebody comes in and you got to turn it up on a dime. And, and mm -hmm. I always try to match the intensity of who I'm going with, whether it's showing a move or whether it's actual live rolling. So, Fox, conversely, what if you get someone like hey, it's a bit of a wet noodle? What do you do? I don't know. I just play wet, wet, wet noodle. If, if, if it's too wet noodle, I was like, hey, man, listen, we're not getting anything out of it. Because too much wet noodle, there's no precision in the technique. I want to, you know, like if I put you in an arm lock, even though it's like put on very lightly, you'll <laughs> yeah. know, you, you know that you're not getting out. Right. And it doesn't right. have to be very hard. I don't have to snap your arm. Right. But if you go wet noodle, like you can get out of anything almost. So there's... There's a fine line between being a wet noodle and just being flow, flowing in a, or, or rolling in a very low intensity, but with precision. You always come back to the precision. If you have precision, then you know, no matter how low the intensity is, people can feel the technique. Right. Can you expand on this? You know, one really interesting thing that sort of as a, I don't know if it was a planned outcome or not, was you, you really built a community. Like a, what they yeah. call themselves, we call themselves at the end, the antivirus tribe. Yeah, the antivirus tribe, 99 out of 99. You know, I wanted to bring sort of something to the world of jiu-jitsu. And I thought of all the jiu-jitsu people out in the world to be as, as one for during the virus. You know, when things are normal, maybe we compete against each other, you know, the, the tribes in, in competition and so forth. But during the virus, I think, especially people were locked down. And I wanted us to be kind of one community, one tribe. And, and I think it was amazing because a lot of people were asking me, hey, Fox, do you consider us our, your student? And I, you know, these guys have been, you know, 50 classes. If you were in my school, you know, that means like you'd be probably training with me for 50 classes. Let's see, it's about, it's almost, you know, four or five months training. Mm -hmm. You know, 99 out of 99, basically you hit 100 classes. If you're with me close, you know, if you are a hobbyist, you would have been training with me for very active hobbies, six months. If you're just a hobbyist, you know, and no offense to that, some people can only train two, three times a week you're right. talking about close to a year's worth of training so and, and you know what i'm hoping for that you know down the road that some people eventually when they when travel is allowed that they actually visit each other or visit each other's academies and 
nothing would please me more than to see two guys that watch the 99 episodes of uh, Antivirus Edition, you know, uh, uh, site in some city in the world and saying, all right, we remember we were part of that tribe. That's how we got to know 100%. each other. Yeah, that'd that's be awesome, great. you know. This is so ironic is one of the things I was thinking about is for you being such a, a self sort of proclaimed Luddite, if you will, or, you know, non-technical type, you have a, such a magnetic personality that draws students to you even via this weird distant medium, right? <laughs> Originally, the way I discovered you was via Farasa Hobby, right? And the TriStar yep. Gym content that is fantastic. I'll, I will post a link for it for you guys to check out. And I'm immediately drawn to your style of teaching and the articulation, which I never Never seen this kind of delivery in terms of teaching and then when it moved on into the the role with the fox monthly thing too so suddenly there was this this digital momentum you have this natural knack for and now i'm seeing you even on different podcasts and interviews and i've read a bunch of content about you in preparation for this and it, it seems to be this growing thing how do you perceive this whole thing i think it's great you know i love teaching i love bringing the world of jujitsu to others i think one of the things that really was amazing that during the role with the fox the antivirus edition we actually got people that don't train jiu-jitsu to actually watch us which i thought was interesting and what i attribute this to i love jiu-jitsu and i want people to love it as much as i do and i think there's people that you know when you watch them in person or when you talk to interact with them in person they're a different person persona from what you get online and mm -hmm. i think with me i think you get the same person and i and i think what it is uh, and th this is like an X factor for a lot of, I don't consider myself a well-spoken person, but I love jujitsu. I have fun training jujitsu, which I think you can tell from, you know, from, I mean, we literally trained every single day for 99 days straight. And uh, I don't think there was a day when I was like, oh man, I, yeah, you know, and I think it comes across and I find it easy to interact with people about jujitsu. And I think that's ultimately the, the reason I, I try to be genuine. I, I love training jujitsu. I love talking about it and, and I love people to be part of jujitsu. And I think that comes across in my teaching style. Was it a surprise, the success of the antivirus and, and the community it made and the popularity of the TriStar Gym content? I mean, was that a surprise that your sort of digital presence is so, you know, is growing and really expanding and really popular? I don't really like pay attention too much to numbers. I, I think, you know, sometimes people, you know, no matter what they do in life, they kind of pay attention to the numbers. And if they don't yeah. get a quick hit, they basically yeah. get discouraged and quit. I personally do what I want to do, what I like to do. Right, and, right. and the numbers and everything else will follow. Right. You know, in the martial arts industry, this is a particularly kind of a, an interesting subject. So I think a lot of people, sometimes you have very high level martial artists that don't run successful schools. And then you have some guys that maybe run very successful schools, but they don't, you know, their martial arts skill level is not very high. And mm -hmm. they tend to look at it more as a business without mm -hmm. actually the passion for the art. And I think, you know, there's so many things you could be doing in life. Uh, you should focus on things that you like and pursue mm -hmm. them. And if you pursue them and you try to achieve excellence and you enjoy it, you know, you will be successful no matter what. I've noticed that too and thought about it because a lot of things we cover on the show is uh, leadership and, you know, teachers and that kind of thing. And a lot of it translates in terms of, I would suspect, running a gym. It seems like your passion, although all this digital stuff is really great, is your yeah. gym in New Jersey and teaching your students face-to-face. -face. And, and that's what you were, long I could tell you were longing to get 
get back to. Yeah, absolutely. I love teaching face to face much more than electro, you know, electronically. But I do also realize that like a lot of the parts of the world don't necessarily have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You're you're in California and, and right. sort of New, I'm in New York metro area. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is widely spread here. There's good schools all over the place. Yes. Whereas some parts of the world they don't have access to good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu techniques yet. And I and I wanted to kind of make that better because some people just by virtue of being in that part of the world, they don't have access to it. So I hope right. that we bringing some part of that to that part of the world, we could help progression of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And eventually, you know, in 10, 20 years, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu will evolve there as well. It takes time. I think uh, your teaching style and the passion for it too is something that is of a great value for potential teachers around the world, you know, to take, or new teachers, if you will, to grab that type of influence and perhaps go with it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I never refer to my school as a gym because I think I perceive Academy, a gym. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I perceive yeah. a gym. You go in, you lift weights. Nobody really pays attention right. to you. you. You got your music on and you do your thing and then you go home. In Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I want people to come into my, my academy. And first of all, anybody that's never trained martial arts before, they will feel the atmosphere. Hmm. I want you to come in and you want to have fun. You may not have fun every day. There's going to be days and you may be tired and you may be frustrated, but over the long run, you need to have fun because it's very hard to, to do anything a year or two, let alone 20, 30 years that you don't enjoy. So right. I strongly encourage people, find a teacher whose style is a good fit for you because mm. it's going to be a lot much more rewarding journey and it should right. be fun. Have you noticed that, and I know you probably don't want to be critical of other teachers or anything like that, but it seems like we had the frothy days, right, before all this, where everything was go, 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 good, everything was going up, up, up. And I wouldn't say it was easy to run an academy, but it was probably easier than, let's say, today. So it seems like the talent seems to rise to the, to the top, especially in these types of days. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, I, I think here's the reality. I think it's going to be rough for everybody. A lot of small businesses will not survive this. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And when circumstances get hard, you have to, you know, I, I guess this Will Ferrell movie, get hard. You got to get harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think the, the reality is, is, is it's the same thing with there's so many similarities between training martial arts, particularly Brazilian jiu-jitsu and running a business or real life. You know, when things go, you just got to suck it up and keep plugging along because at some point things will get better. You know, they will get easier. Fox, one of the things I want to ask you is uh, I've seen instructors less than half your age seemingly burn out from white belt type of questions or uh, teaching the basics. Uh, how, how do you, after all these years, how do you, it seems like we asked a lot of dumb questions too on the uh, antivirus and roll with the fox too. Uh, how do you still, it seems like you really put a lot of thought into all these questions and, and it's really helpful. How, how do you not roll your eyes and just like, oh, here we go again? Yeah, it's a, it's a twofold question. It's also how you ask. Uh, That's a big, big thing too. You know, uh, first of all, every episode we had a plan. We didn't have a plan for an open, like we had an opening skit almost every, every single time. Yeah. We never had like we, ne- not never, but we rarely for the 99th, we had a plan. That was a plan like from period from episode 50 where Enrique's yeah. going almost, to almost get his revenge. We always had a plan for technique because you never know what kind of questions you're going to get. Or if, if people are asking, you know, slowly, start to ask questions. So we always had a plan and we were always ready to, to veer from the plan. You know, one thing is, and, and, and I think this may be just common courtesy, it's, it's how people ask questions. Sometimes people would ask, like, you know, ask me a question. I'd give them an answer and their question was, don't you think this? 
Hmm. Well, if I thought that, I would have told you that to begin with. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah very good so observation. You try to put yourself in the mind of who's a- asking the question. In all honesty, yeah, there are some questions that baffle me. You could, if you watch all the episodes, there's sometimes you look, you look at my, my. I've seen uh, a couple. Sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you see, see my eye. Like I don't roll my eyes, but I like give you this look. Like, wait, what? Yeah. But, but that was uh, also particularly challenging over the internet too, right? Because unless someone was really specific in terms of like exactly the move, sometimes you're like, well, what do you mean by this and that? And then there's this sort of long pause waiting for an answer. If I did not know what they were talking about, I'd always get a chance to sort of clarify. Yeah. Also, I think Mike got really good at, at kind of trying to read the questions interpret. and sometimes, and Enrique would help me interpret. You're right. Much better, like put me in a position, I'll figure out an answer. You know, sometimes my eyes, especially if I have something that I want to make sure that I'm talk, I am I talk about in this episode and somebody's reading the question for me, my eyes sort of lays over. So I needed sure. my Enrique to kind of interpret it for me as well. Right. I'm the same way. I get the same way. <laughs> yeah. So going back to uh, keeping things fun, I, I often see instructors that are often uh, very serious most of the time. I, I've seen some of those, um, but you have this great sense of humor. But what's interesting too is that you can do this immediate 90 degree turn back into serious instruction. How do you pivot? I don't, to be honest, I don't realize how I pivot. I, honestly, for me, instructors that are just kind of crabby and in dark clouds, unless they're dealing with some personal problems if they do it day in day out year after year you know then my answer is man why don't you go do something else there's Mm. easier ways to make money than running Mm. an academy Mm. running an academy is not easy you know you want to have fun you know this is what i chose this i had options and this is what i chose to do and i like it for me if somebody said something funny i you know obviously it's funny to me i start laughing but once i sort of focus on on the answer that i i guess i do the quick turnaround and I don't realize that I'm doing it very quickly, but once I'm sort of past the laughing point, I'm all right, back to back to actually t- talking about the, the subject of the hand. Yeah. <laughs> so Fox, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, do these things annoy you? Sometimes I notice people would ask you for tricks, right? Yeah. So your thought on that? Yes and no. If it's coming from a white belt, no, but if somebody flew mm. a purple belt, they should know better mm. uh, because there are no tricks. There is no shortcuts to anything in life, anything mm. worthwhile in life. There is no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like saying, how do you become a rapper mogul? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, show me a couple of tricks, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure that all the guys that actually achieve greatness, no matter what field they chose, they put in tunnel work and people just don't see it. It's under the surface, like an iceberg. And somehow it shows like tricks that it's, it's something magical where in jujitsu, it's ma- jujitsu is not magical. It is logical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it depends where the questions came from. There were sometimes, you know, I'd be driving up and somebody called me with some problem and I tried to help them with a problem or there'd be problem or something that get me all ticked off and, you know, come 10:30 a.m. I'd have to be, you know, you have to be. Now I got to be in the zone because now I'm teaching class, and, and you know, wow. you got to take that attitude whether you're teaching a class online or live. You got to be on. This is, you know, people want to. People come in to learn something and enjoy it. So you got to provide that. Ultimately, it's service, and if you don't enjoy it in, in the long run, you should not be in this business. So if I'm a day one white belt and I walk into your academy, what can I expect? What are, what are the sort of ground rules, uh, the formalities? Am I calling you professor? Am I bowing on the mat? What if I ask a, a black belt or yourself to roll? That kind of stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is very interesting. So there's no formalities. People call me Professor Fox, whatever. So we don't have a lot of formalities. 
uh, what, what I try to convey to people is, is, you know, have them understand that this is a journey, that this is not, you're not going to be a champion of the world in six weeks. You're not going to be able to beat the blue belt in six weeks. So just enjoy the class, enjoy the journey, come into class with the following mind. You should be learning two to three things every class. You know, you may see t- 10 things, but it's going to be very difficult for you to remember all 10 things. I could not. Maybe if you can, power to you, but don't worry about 10 things. Just remember two to three things. If you come three times a week, times 50 weeks, you know, you're talking about 150 techniques. That's a lot of stuff. So I tried to just, you know, when, like I said, you've heard me say this many a time, Rome was not built in a day. So I want people to understand the journey they're going to be traveling. One, one other thing I tell people, I never tell anybody jujitsu is easy. It is not easy. It is difficult because if it was easy, everybody would want to do it. It's the gentle art. <laughs> I know, but we have to learn how to do it gently. You know, I've, I've, I've been asked to, to roll. You know, it's never by the, what I would consider the meeker part of the population. It's always right, by, right. The, by the stronger. I had a, <laughs> you know, I had an experience. One of, uh, one of my students you know, I was teaching a class and the guy was, I don't roll with the students during class. I roll with people at Henzo's, pretty much anybody that asks me. Mm-hmm. And I roll with my students at open mat or when I'm training with them, you know, outside of class. When I'm teaching a class, my job is to make sure to give you best instruction I can and to mm-hmm. make sure you're safe. Right. That's, that's it. Right. And enjoy this. That's my job. Right. My job is not to roll with you because you know, you want to feel. Trust me, if you feel what, it, what it's like in real life, you don't like it. It's happened to me a bunch of times where people yeah. just would not let, me, let it go. And do you understand wow. that I train seven days a week? Wow. Okay? Yeah. There are days that I might be just coming off an injury. There might, day, might be days that I'm injured. You will not know it. But you want to roll with me, I'm going to try to say, well, why don't you take one of these guys? I'm teaching class. But if they insist, I will roll with them. They do not like the experience. Mm. And I had a, one time I had an experience with a guy who was a football coach. And mm. uh, during class, he asked me, do you want to roll? And I'm stupid. I said, oh, you know, I got my Irish up, as you know. And I said, okay, let's go. And usually a guy, you know, with 350 pounds, he's strong. So I, what I did, I yeah. pushed him into the wall. I know he's going to push back. As soon as he pushed back, I, you know, I, I pulled guard and, and arm locked him, like pretty much instantaneously. I did about I did it three, three times in pretty rapid succession, took all about a minute to do that. And I said, okay, we're done for the day. You know, we're done here. And, uh, you know, then his, you know, as, as they're walking out, his friends like tell it, like, as they walk it out the door, he's like, what the f- yeah. <laughs> what did you do? And the guy never came back, you know, and, and in all fairness, you know, I probably should have explained to him that like, listen, I'm here to teach a class. I'm not here to be your chew toy. Mm-hmm. And if you want him chew toy, I'm not that chew toy. I'm the, Maybe smaller dog, but a dog that knows how to bite. Right, so I right. usually, um, yeah, like I said, I, I train with people. And I, you know, I like to train with high-level people because, you know, pushes my game. I want to go with somebody. There's days when I, I got to build up my intensity. There's days when I, I want to go hard. So I want right. to go with guys that are skilled that can take whatever, you know, whatever we're doing that day. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. But if you take a high-level white belt or, high, or, or blue belt, and train, they're not going to learn a lot. I've had people, like, literally go with me and not know. I submit them a bunch of times that they don't even remember. They, they can't even tell me what I submitted them with. How is that a mm-hmm. learning experience for them? It's like right. they're, in a wash, they're, they're in a washing machine. Yeah. So they're not, it's not in I, could, like, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I have to rewatch your videos on just one particular segment of a technique over and over again to just even, there's so many nu- nuances. 
Yeah. And they don't forget about the nuances. They don't even remember what, if, if I hit him with an arm lock, I, I, one time I had a guy yeah. at Henzo's, he was a blue belt and he was just balls to the wall, very intense. I nailed him four times in a row. And then he cut me with an elbow, you know, and I had to stop. So I asked him after I stopped the bleeding, I said, do you remember any submission what I hit you with? No, he couldn't. And it was at this point, he was already a fairly advanced blue belt because just, you know, he was in a fight. Yeah. So when I feel that intensity, I'm going to give you the same intensity back. And it's, yeah. if you can remember what happened and even on a subconscious level, right. it's not going to help your game. And how, how does that help my game? Right. One of you know, the things I noticed too is when I watched uh, you on uh, the TriStar Gym stuff, there's a part where they have you guys rolling with some of the students. Uh, yeah. I think it's towards the end of the video, whatever. And one yeah. of the things that that always stuck in my mind was after your role was over, you would look to your uke, your training partner, and see the expression on their face. And if they smiled, you smiled. And if they didn't, you didn't. <laughs> That's very observant because I never noticed it. So I, I guess I'm trying to match what people give me. If, if you want to have a fight, I will have a fight with anybody, but people don't like it. Right. So the point is, if you want to be friends and you want to learn, I'm happy to tell you whatever. Okay. I can tell you what I hit you with and how you escape it because it's going to make my game better and it's going to make your game better. But if you sort of are trying to prove to the world what you can do and you didn't prove anything to yourself or to the world, then okay. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, then I'm not going to be super friendly either because I understand what you, what you were trying to do. You know, as, as humans, we feed off each other's energy, you know? Right. What are your thoughts on flow rolling? Oh, I, I think it's, it's a highly underrated tool. People, when they flow roll, people think that it's like flopping around like a wet noodle, which it's not. I initially, when I started to, what I thought I was doing flow rolling is probably going back probably 20 years. It was not, it was more a wet noodle, but mm. flow rolling nowadays is extremely important because it allows you, it's just moving at a lower intensity, but mm. you can still work on your timing, even mm -hmm. though it's delayed, but now it's sort of like, how do you fit in the move in a, in a most precise way possible? And that's extremely important because I think a lot of people lack, even the high, some of the extremely high level guys, they, it's just sort of not precise. It just you know, timing was good and power was on and it works. But if, if, if there's precision and timing, it, it's a beautiful thing. So mm. I think it's an extremely important tool, but you need to, people need to be trained on flow rolling. Mm, they need to understand how to manage their intensity. When people flow roll, I try to guide them. You know, in my advanced classes, we start the warm up 10 minute flow roll. Mm. And I try to tell people, you know, the intensity should be low, but precision should be, should be high. And right. you also need to make sure that you're not huffing and puffing. So that means you're just going a little too hard mm. and you can hit submissions. Like mm. I'll hit submission. Like on, if I'm flow rolling with Enrique and I hit a submission, I'll pause and we can escape by twisting. I'll let him escape. Then I'm going to follow with a follow-up move. So it also yeah. allows you to start to string things together, especially in, in some of the more complex sequences. And, you know, I think that's the part people miss. Would you consider yes. your narrated roles on YouTube? Are those flow rolling examples, would you say? They start off flow rolling and they start to, the intensity at the end gets much higher. Okay. Closer to the end, we start out like initially, it's almost like a wet noodle to flow right. rolling and to much more intense. Like literally there's some roles with Enrique when, when he and I go with where it's, it's, it's like pretty much tournament intensity. Everyone has different interpretations, like you said, of going light or going hard, right? I'm one of those people, I like percentages. Adolfo, go 40% with him, go 50%, you know, that kind of thing. But I rarely hear that. And with you, I think that was a really good example in terms of when you're huffing and puffing, you're going too hard or whatever with flow rolling. That, that makes a lot of sense. 
I think flow rolling should be roughly 50 to 70% intensity, and, but precision, 100% precision. Let's go back to that sort of wet noodle thing. So why do training partners who just lay there drive you crazy? I know Robert Nackey of Island Top Team calls it taking your ball and going home because you're, you're not doing anything. I love that that one. This is sort of be a repeating theme I, I've seen you talk about in various videos. When people just kind of sit there and yeah. do that thing, it drives you freaking nuts. So I, I want to know why. Because it's not, that's not jiu-jitsu. You don't have to take a, a, one single class in jiu-jitsu. You already know how to do that. Hmm. So if, I, if you're in a bad position where somebody can hit you, why not at least try to escape? Maybe you make a mistake and you're going to get submitted, but that's better than doing nothing. In, in any sort of endeavor, you know, when, if you're going to sit on your ass, you might as well not do it. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that we learn from our mistakes. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, as mm -hmm. long as you're with the right training partner, if you go with somebody with, the, you know, you make a mistake, he rips your arm off. It, clearly you're with, with the wrong training partner. But if, if you make a mistake and the guy takes the arm bar and you just tap, then everything is cool. You just learn maybe not what not to do. And that's a valuable experience. That's more valuable than just holding on and praying for the guy to get tired of, of looking at you like that and going home. Well, I, I would argue that's one of the things that close guard drives me crazy about, like just, just holding close guard and going back to close guard, just kind of sitting there. Sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my time. I understand those are fundamental moves from, from there and things to learn. Your thoughts on, on close? I know you're not a big close guard player. And additionally to that, you know what I mean? Can you take too many losses where you're just trying stuff all the time? So as far as close guard, yeah, I, I will close my guard. But as soon as I close my guard, it's, it's just basically to reset. And then I, I'm going to open because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something. So I'm not a fan of just holding the guard closed. And I think there are there's school of thought that basically say, you know, hold your guard closed, let him stand up, make a mistake. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the reality is this. The guy on top can hit you in a, in a self-defense scenario. We cannot forget that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a self-defense. Uh, you know, it's taught primarily for self-defense. Right. And the reality is the guy on top can hit you in your guard. So you better open your guard and do something. You better mm -hmm. either tie him up that he can't do anything or sweep him or submit him. So I believe that the person on the bottom should take the initiative and do something. But also if I'm with the guy on top and the guy's refusing to open the guard, you have to have a couple of go-to guard opening techniques. And, you know, I have, I probably have used two primarily the uh, log splitter. And uh, when you stand up with, with missile, you're trying to push, the right right thigh, thigh in to misalign his spine and you know push his leg down open and then start going from there so i'm not a, a big advocate of just closing your guard and just holding on for dear life but also i do need you know if you're on top you do need to learn how to deal with that that is part of jujitsu because if you go if you ever come you might get a person like that and you need to be able to deal with that now as far as too many losses uh this is a, I think, you know, everybody wants to win gold medals, but this is a martial arts. You know, I'm, I'm taking a step back from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to focus on broader martial arts. Martial arts, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a practice for you to become the best version of yourself you could possibly be. And if that means that you're a guy that would never, ever defend themselves, but now you can defend yourself, but you competed a couple of tournaments, you took five losses in a row. I, I don't care. I respect that guy. I respect them probably more than, you know, some other people. Mm -hmm. So the point is, you know, winning or losing is not necessarily, yeah, it's important. I agree. But also yeah. in, in the broader sort of martial arts way, it doesn't mean that much. It's more what do you do with losses? Uh, you know, there, there's sayings like, you know, if you don't give up, you never lost. You know, I love the movie America, you know, The, the Last Samurai, you know, where, you know, they go into the battle against the, the Japanese army now with all the firepower and the guy knows he's going to lose, but they're going to have a good battle. You know, mm. there's something that's appealing about that, you know, in a, sort of in a martial arts way. So I'm, I'm a fan of that approach. 
Do you see those kind of students in your school sometimes or in other schools where they, you just see them lose and lose and lose like within the school, you know? To be honest with you, I think a lot of times it's, it's just inadequate preparation. When a student's asked me to compete, first thing I do is look at the, I, I ask them to bring me their attendance card. Mm -hmm. I know what's on there. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what's on there because I know, you know, how many times I've seen them in the last couple of months. And here's the reality of, of this. You could be the most technical person in the world, but if you run out of gas, you're going to lose. You're going to mm -hmm. lose no matter how good you are. Mm -hmm. So the point is in the past, are you like, they want to compete? Oh yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've had instances where I had two instances where I had a student that was a good, good athlete, but he didn't train consistently. And right. I think in the second or third round, he ran out of the gas and you just like pin mm -hmm. the guys driving it, you know, it's his blue belt level driving his form into the throat and he's looking at me with these pitiful eyes and he, mm -hmm. I know what he's asking. He's asking yeah. me to let him quit. Mm -hmm. And I'm screaming at him. Like I, I'm not going to mention the name and I'm screaming at him. I said, finish it like a man. I don't mm -hmm. care if you get submitted. I don't care if you lose, but finish it like a man. Mm -hmm. And he finished. He got, he lost yeah. and he finished it. And then another instance where another same guy, you know, he was technically very, very good. Mm -hmm. And uh, he lost in the semis and then he had to fight for the third place. And he comes to me and I'm coaching him and he's, okay, Fox, I think I'm done for the day. So I looked at him. I said, done. You have a match for third place. I said, I don't care if you win or lose, but you need to finish. This is what you wanted to do. You told me mm -hmm. you wanted to compete. You're here. I'm here. You won two. You lost one. I don't care if you lose. So mm -hmm. why don't you go in the corner and you tell me when they call your name, what you want to do. And I could see him coming back to the crowd when they called his name and he had my rash guard on. And I could tell in his eyes he was going to give up. Literally, what, what I was going to say, I was going to say, take my rash guard off. And I guess somehow my eyes conveyed that to him. <laughs> and he, by the time he got to me, he says, okay, I'm going to do it. And he, and he won. And he freaking took third place. And, and I think a learning experience like that is worth 10 gold medals mm -hmm. that he just mm -hmm. never gave up. And I, and I think that's far more important than winning. I'd rather have a guy that loses five matches in a row, five tournaments in a row that just keeps going back and, and doesn't give up than somebody that sort of like just is athletic and just lucky and doesn't really train hard and somehow wins first place in white belt. In reality, yeah. it's great. But the point is, this is a journey where we learn how to tap into our inner character. Mm -hmm. And if you don't incorporate that into your sort of competition career, I don't think that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is going to help you in terms of personal development. Mm -hmm. So then the problem is, then, you know, when people lose repeatedly, it tends to get into their psyche. And that's a problem because not everybody can deal with it. So it seems like so much of it is psychological. Of it is psychological. And so I was going to ask you, what did you say, for instance, to the guy who's had the, the forearm on the throat the whole time? What do you say to that guy afterwards or the person in your gym who's losing and losing and losing? Usually my guys don't lose because I, I don't <laughs> let, well, I don't let people compete, you know, like if they don't prepare, they, it, listen, if you're training once a week for six months, whether you're white belt, blue belt, purple belt, I don't care what belt you are. If you train once a week for six months and you want to compete, I'm going to say no. And I've lost students because of that, because you're not properly prepared to win in a tournament. Yeah. Technique is a big part of it, but especially at the lower levels, it is not the most important one. There's literally 10 different reasons why you lost. You could, it could be a bad weight cut, could be you just psych yourself out, could be bad strategy, could be just not understanding the rules, could be that you thought you, you, know, you were close and you just didn't understand you only had 30 seconds left, you thought you had three minutes left, could be gassing out, it could be as, you know, a lot of different things. But the one thing that if you go, 
I'm okay with my guy losing because he got hit with a flying arm lock and lost in 10 seconds. I've seen literally black belt, world champion black belts, where they've won world championships at black belt and got caught with a flying arm lock in 10 seconds, tap and cry. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with somebody not being prepared. So if you're not prepared, I'm going to tell you do not compete because you will also not be prepared to mentally understand why you lost. So and I've lost students because of that because they want to, this is not bowling where you bowl and like, yeah, okay. I hit a couple of gutter balls. No, mm -hmm. even at white belt, you're going to have guys that are going to go out there and they're going to, you don't tap, they're going to break your arm. So mm -hmm. you have to be prepared. If nothing else, you have to be physically prepared, you know, be competing in masters or seniors. I'm looking for you to probably train four or five times a week when you have other obligations, family, job, and whatever else. Of if you're going to compete at, at adults, you better, you, you better train at least four or five times a week, at least. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you will not be mentally prepared. You will not be physically prepared, and you will lose for sure. Like you said, at one point, you wanted that guy to take his rash guard off. It seems characterization and how your school is, forgive me, I'm going to say school, academy is represented is, is of real importance to you. Yeah, but it's not about winning. It's all about how you carry yourself. Hmm. You understand? Because I didn't ask him. I was going to because you told me you wanted to compete. You know, you're psyching yourself out and you're like, I'm here to, to finish this thing. And I'm, okay, now you're quitting. I'd rather you lose first match than you quit. So that's, to me, that's sort of, and then at the end of the day, my responsibility is to teach people technique, but also teach them character or develop their character. And fortunately, and I, and I, you know, afterwards to both guys, I told them, I said, are you happy that you did this this way? Hmm. Then I explained to them what it, the importance of not giving up. And it's not about winning or losing. It's about not giving up. And I do believe that they've become better humans, better people, and better equipped to deal with challenges and, and issues no matter what endeavor in their jobs and their whatever it is because of that. Not because they won gold medal, just neither won gold, won gold medal, but because they never gave up. Fascinating. Along that line of thinking then, have you ever held back a student, let's say from a belt promotion, who has the technique, who has the strength and, and all of it, but they don't have the character? You know, a, a belt promotion is a factor of many things. Technique is, is probably the most important one, but there's other things that go in there. But the reality is no. At the end of the day, you know, I, I will wait longer. But at the end of the day, if they deserve that belt, I'll give it to them, whether it be blue, purple, brown, or bl even black. Because at the end of the day, they've demonstrated the technological proficiency of, of that belt. And, mm. But I also know that people that do not match up well with the atmosphere of the school will mm. eventually leave. So mm. the problem, will, it will resolve itself one way or another. Mm. Mm. Interesting. But it's not, you know, like not giving up. It's, it's not... That's not, you know, uh, an issue for me to hold the belt back. It's, it's more, you know, there are issues where, you know, you have questions about the person's motives and things like that. That's, I may take a little bit longer, but I will give him the belt. You know, you want mm -hmm. the belt, you got it. You know, then go do with it as you, as you see fit. So everyone else, you can go also to jujiclub.com, get the Fox's Huma Plata instructional, use promo code SILVERFOX5, get $5 off, go buy his fluid BJJ book. You can get that on Amazon and everywhere else. It sells books, his Daijitsu instructional, which I own. Definitely go get that. There's a lot of amazing stuff. Urugatami, Huma Plata stuff on there. All really fantastic, fantastic content on that one. If you get both the book and the, oh, and the right. DVD, 
the book yeah. has a uh, discount yeah. code. Yes. In terms of social media, you guys just go to everything Silver Fox BJJ yeah. on Twitter, it's on Instagram, Silver SilverFoxBJJ.com is the website. Fox, anything else that I want to buy? Head to toe, sweatbands, <laughs> a hat. You know, I'm going to be that guy. Just... The NASCAR driver. Yeah, NASCAR um, driver. <laughs> yeah, guys, everything is Silver Fox BJJ. You know, me with the blue gi, I, I, I maxed out on friends, but you can still follow me and every once in a while, you know, spot clears up. But we are on YouTube channel, Silver Fox BJJ, so subscribe to the channel and just watch out for the uh, BJJ Fanatics instructionals. I think you're going to be amazed that like there's a lot of uh, content that I consider. I don't see other people using it out in the, in the world of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so I think it's going to be good. And guys, one thing I do want to add is guys, enjoy this journey. It is fun. It's supposed to be fun, so enjoy it. Thank you, Fox. Always my pleasure.